0: We've read a story today that deals with shepherds. I remind you that last week we began this call of Christmas with lessons from the angels, and I remind you what those angels taught us. They taught us that they were dispatched from heaven, that they delivered the message, that they uh, directed the attention to heaven, that they declared the praise of God, and they displayed the glory of God. Today we want to look at the shepherds. Now, think about that. The call of Christmas to the shepherds. Now, a call and a draft is going to be basically the same thing. When I think of a call, I think of a telephone. And I will tell you that the call to the shepherds, like the call to us, like the call to the angels, is a very special call. It's a very specific call. It's a very strong call. It's a very distinct call because every person has a call. It's kind of like uh, when I was... uh, Now, teenagers, you won't know what I'm talking about here. But back in the early days of telephone, everybody didn't have a private line. How many know what a party line is? Goodness, we're an old congregation. A party line. If you remember that party line, you'd have seven or eight people on your party. And the way you knew it was your phone was it had a distinctive ring. I remember my memo my and papa, their, their ring was one long, one long. My Uncle J.L. and Aunt Lucille, their ring was one long and two shorts. Any other ring, you don't answer it. When you pick up, you may hear what somebody else is saying. In fact, if you had an unscrupulous neighbor, they knew your secrets. Hello, you know what I'm talking about. And here's what I want to say to us today is that the call of Christmas, the lessons that we learn from the the shepherds are lessons that are specific for us. God puts a call on your life and my life, just like he did the angels, just like he does the shepherds, to do something specific. Now, as I've read this, I want to keep this as simple as possible. If you've looked on the back of your bulletin, you're going to go, this is going to be trite again. Well, I love being trite because if I can speak to a fifth grader, And I'm not smarter than a fifth grader, by the way. If I can speak to a fifth grader, then maybe we all can understand it. So I want to give you three very simple lessons of of what this is about. How they responded. The first thing that I find when I look at the shepherds, remember, the angels came and they told them said, Look, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He is the Son of God. It will bring peace on earth. It will bring goodwill to men. And you you need to see this thing. And you know what they did? First of all, they went. They just went. I want you to think about that. They had heard the message, they received the message, now they responded to the message. They just got up and went. Now listen, Baptist. Think about what they didn't do. They didn't have a business meeting. They didn't have an extended discussion. They didn't appoint a committee. They just got up and went. They did what they were told to do. They didn't, here's your six-bit word, they didn't procrastinate. Now for those, I don't see Alan today, I always have to pick on Alan because he says, Preacher, you use words I don't know. Procrastinate is that unusual distinct ability to put off to tomorrow what could be done today. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And here's what I'll tell you. There is nothing that will derail the life of a believer that will distract a church and destroy the life of a non-believer like procrastination. The Bible says now is the time for salvation. Today is the day. When God calls us, He calls us to do it now. And there are many calls God puts on our lives that He wants us to do, some of you today. Let me just give you a couple, just to think about this. God puts a call on every person's life to come to Jesus and be saved. You come to Jesus and you're forgiven of your sin. You come to Jesus and you're changed from within. You have a transformed life. You come to Jesus, you begin this relationship with Jesus, and things begin to take on a different shape. Now, here's what the truth is. Our Lord comes and speaks into your heart and asks you to allow him to come in, and many of us procrastinate. <laughs> uh, not today, Lord. Not today. I got, I'm too young. I have too much fun to have too much living to do. And then we go on through the years and maybe we stay in church and all the things that people think that we're supposed to do and then what happens? We never get around to it. I wonder today if as in Revelation chapter 1 where the picture of Jesus shows him with those eyes of fire, those eyes of fire represent the fact that he can look through us and into us and see all the way to the very core of our being. He can literally do a living autopsy and look and see what's inside our heart. Here's my question. If if our Lord were to come stand on this stage this morning and look at your heart, would He find Himself in your heart? This week we have. I said goodbye to people we didn't think we'd say goodbye to. Ten days ago, there were at least three women in eternity that never thought before Christmas they would come face to face with their maker. We buried two of them on Friday and we'll bury another one tomorrow. But they're already in eternity. What if that had been you? I want to say this to you. It doesn't matter how many Sunday school classes you've taught. It doesn't matter how many years you've been a deacon. It doesn't matter how many years you've been a Baptist. It matters if you have Jesus in your heart. You will never become the person that He wants you to be without Him in your heart. You will never even get there to where He can use you, to where He can develop you, as long as corruptness exists in your heart. And you know what will happen? I read a story that kind of illustrates it. It was on a bumpy road out in the country. This man was driving along, and he saw a brand-new bag of concrete mix, cement mix. And he looked around, and nobody was coming back to get it. And he thought, brand-new bag doesn't need to be wasted. He said, so he got out of the car, and he went over, and when he tried to pick it up, he found it to be too heavy. For you see, it had laid there, and it turned to stone. Had that, had that bag gone to a piercing construction site, they'd have mixed that up like they do and they'd have put it down and it would have been something valuable. But because the bag never made it to its destination, it could not be used. That's what procrastination does. The shepherds got up and they went where they were supposed to go and they knew it. They responded. They said, let's go. Let's straightway go. Let's go immediately. Too often, churches in particular want to put things off. I'm about to tell you one of my real weaknesses, one of the many. It's sad, but this is my memory. After I had been in the ministry for about ten years, I became very skeptical. I became very skeptical of this phrase. Well, let's pray about it. Well, let's just pray about it. And you go, wait a minute, Brother Jerry. Yes, prayer's good. But you know why? Because for the first 10 years, every time something was presented to any of those three churches that a few people didn't want to do, their response was to spiritually say, Let's pray about it. And the, and the problem with me was it never came back up. It was just a defense mechanism. Now listen, make no mistake. We should pray about everything we do. It should be bathed in prayer. You know, when we go to, when we go to God in prayer, He will give us direction. And based on what I read in this book, it's very seldom, it is very seldom to be apathetic or complacent. In fact, you know what? If I Sometimes I don't want to go to the Lord in prayer because I'm afraid of what He's going to tell me to do. Anybody like that? But prayer is one of those things that can change our hearts. I had an illustration of that this week. You may have noticed... That I am limping on my right hip. I don't know what's going on with it. And don't everybody come give me all your, you know, if you'll drink 32 ounces of castor oil, it'll make it feel better, okay? (laughs) I'm going to a chiropractor Wednesday, so I'm getting it looked at. But you know what I discovered the other day? Actually, I fell from grace, and God taught me a lesson through it. I fell from grace and went to Walmart with my bride. Now, anybody that, it had nothing to do with going with Deborah. I will go with Deborah anywhere, but but it, it's shopping. You need to know that the S word in the Watch's house is shopping. I'll do, I can go about 30 minutes, and Deborah hadn't even broke a sweat when she's gone 30 minutes. She's got to be out there a while. But I was walking around Walmart, and my hip was hurting me so bad I knew I was going to sit down. And just as I was about to go over to McDonald's, get a cup of coffee, and sit down, there, I spotted something on the bottom rack. And you know what I did? I knelt right here and I did what I have to do. Not paying any attention to that hurting hip. And when I stood up, the pain was gone. Now, it wasn't gone permanently. It still has a little ache in it today. But here's what I was reminded of. How when we go to our knees and we're hurting so bad, when we think there's no way out, When we think that nobody understands our hurt, we go to the Lord in prayer. He's always got a word of help and cure for us. Here's what I'll tell you about the shepherds. When we think about procrastination, using prayer for, what I'm trying to convey to you is use prayer for something authentic and real, and he'll speak to us, not to procrastinate, not to do things. I want you to think about something before we pass off this point that I've spent so much time on. They got up and went straightway, immediately, today. Have you ever thought about if they'd been Baptist? Now, for those who are visiting with us, I'm a Baptist from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Been Baptist for 54 years. I'll never be anything else. I love being a Baptist, but because I love being a Baptist, I know our faults. And I've, and I've, and I've been a Baptist long enough. I haven't been quite long with Brother Terry, but I've been a Baptist long enough to know Baptists. If those shepherds had been Baptists, they may have had to call a business meeting. They may have had to put together a committee. Uh, We heard what the angel said, but do you know what the truth is? It will cost us way too much to go all the way to Bethlehem. We can't leave the shepherds. We can't go away from this hillside. We can't do it. We've never done it before. And you know what will happen? Please listen. They would have missed the birth of Jesus. I fear too many churches miss the blessings of God, spend too much time procrastinating instead of moving forward. The first lesson is that they just went. The second lesson is they worshiped. They worshiped. Verse 16 says, and They hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And then in verse 20 it says, And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen just and heard just as they had been told. Now, glorified and praising God, I don't know what that means to you, but it sounds like they had a party. May I, may I just go so far as to say this? We have kind of got it confused in our culture. The parties go on at the bars and the honky tonks. You don't know what a honky-tonk is. The bars and the, and the, uh, um, and the sports clubs. If there's going to be a party in this community, you know where it should happen? In the house of God. Because he has come to earth to change our lives, to give us a new direction. Man. Worship. Now what I'm about to tell us, why not go in a few people's ears. I don't know whose it is. I don't. This is not pointed at. Kelly, he always listens. But for those who have already got their their concept of worship concreted in their mind, this is not going to help. But for those of us who are still learning, maybe it will help us. Worship is about Him. When we talk about worship today, we talk about songs. Well, songs can lead us into worship. But worship's not about songs. It's about the sun. It's not about having the latest and the greatest and the hottest song. But it's also not about having the oldest and most obscured and your favorite song. In fact, worship is not about you at all. It's about him. I walk around this building, and I'm going to tell you how, I hear it, and I'm amused by it, and I'm saddened by it. You know, I don't even like that screen. Why don't we get back to the hymn books like God intended? No, they didn't say that part. <laughs> but on the other side, you have the, you have the young people going, well, well, not just the young people. Why don't we get away from the hymn books and just do nothing? But You know what? It's not about screens and hymn books. It's not about pianos and orchestras and guitars. It's about Him. And we've missed it. They returned glorified and praising Him because they were focused on Him. Let me just uh, uh, threaten my job right here. What do you think if Brother Jerry took Wendell aside and said, Wendell, no more instrumental music or choir music. We're going to stop it until we get a handle on what worship is. Oh, Brother Jerry, I don't even think I'd come to a church like that. If you wouldn't come to a church without music, would you come to a church without Jesus? If you wouldn't come to a church without music. It was in the late 90s in England That a pastor was that brave. Now, please listen. They had, they were turning out music that was being used worldwide for worship. They had a very high end worship team, instrumental ensemble, praise team. Matt Redmond's a member of that church. Pastor thought they'd kind of lost their way in worship, they'd been started worshiping the things. The one. And he put a moratorium on music. Matt Redmond's testimony was this. He said, You there were some real awkward times of silence. He said and then just a little bit people would begin to hum and sing from their heart. Here was the question that the pastor presented to the people. Are you listening? Are you listening? What is it that you bring into this building every day, every Sunday? that you can offer as a sacrifice of worship to God. Over the course of time, we began to resonate in their hearts what it was to get along with God, even collectively. And it was out of that experience that these words were written. When the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply come, longing to bring you something that's of worth, worth that will bless your heart. And then he sings the refrain: "I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. When you came in this morning, was it all about Him?" Or was it about, they got that stage up again. I hate it when they put that stage up. They got those lights up again for crying out loud. And they going to use that video for for this morning? I fear that we've made worship our own instead of about Him. Instead of coming in and bringing Him ourselves and our sacrifice of praise and our offering of worship, Like the shepherds did. We made it all about us. The shepherds found it just like they had been told. And they worshipped out of a heart that was overflowing. They didn't have to conjure it up. They didn't have to work it up. Because of what they felt in their heart, it just oozed out of them. I like that term oozed out of. And that brings us to the third thought. They went, they worshiped, and number three, they witnessed. It says, yeah, they hurried off and found the baby, and after seeing them, they reported the message about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said truth is, folks, if I were to ask you what it takes to overcome the evil one, most of us would go, it would be the cross, it would be the blood of the Lamb. Well, do you know what the Bible teaches us about the end time? When they're facing the beast and they're facing evil, watch this. You can you can write it down, Revelation 12, 11, it says this is how they overcome them. They overcame the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You see, these guys went to witness. They went to tell everybody about what they had seen, what they had heard, what they had felt, what they had sensed. I believe when Jesus gets in our heart, we will want to witness the exact same the lessons for the shepherds they went they responded they worshiped out of a heart of overflow coming back to the heart of worship and they witnessed they told the story the greatest story ever told but I want to give you a curveball as we end today just to make sure you're awake every christmas every time i read luke chapter 2 i have one question Why the shepherds? Why shepherds? Of people God could have chosen, why did He use, why did He speak to shepherds? Why did He call shepherds low down, dirty? You know how low shepherds were on the status in those days? They could not even be called as a witness in a legal matter. Why in the world shepherds? Why not a middle class person? Why not a prince? Why didn't God go straight to the top and speak to the ruler? Now, I don't have the the biblical answer, but may I make you a suggestion and let it burn in our hearts? Perhaps God knew that the only people who would respond to his call were the shepherds. Perhaps he knew everybody else would say, I got too much to do. I, you know, I work this in sometimes. You see, folks, we get in a hurry for all kinds of things. But when it comes to our Lord, I think it would be fair to say that we tend to want to put off till tomorrow what he's called us to do today. You know what he's called us to do today? Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.